How many are happy to be in God's house this morning? Can you say amen? We're good? Did you have a good time at our 10-year anniversary celebration last Sunday morning? I can't believe it's been 10 years. You blink and 10 years go by just like that. Seems like just yesterday we were starting out at the Holiday Inn on Powell Street in Emeryville. It's now the Hilton Garden Inn. The Lord has done a marvelous work and I'm so thankful. Well, this is, our part, this is part four of our 10-part series on Psalm chapter 112. It is our financial focus. In the year 2014, we have three main focuses. Finances is the first trimester of the year. Family is the second trimester of the year. And, and friendship is the third trimester of the year. We are now in part four of our 10-part series on finances. Glad to be back at it. I want to really encourage all of you, if you do nothing else... I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 112. Not here right now. I don't need you to open them up here. But when you get home, just meditate on those verses one by one so that you're prepared. I've got some people coming to me saying, I can't wait for this Sunday because I know you're going to be preaching verse 4. And so I'm preaching a verse every Sunday. And so we've done the first three verses. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who takes great delight in his commandments. Verse 2. His descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. And today, verse 4, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. Say it. Even in darkness, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. Now stop looking at your Bibles, tablets, phones. It's too, too short. You can remember it. Let's say it all together. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. Say it again. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Say it again. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Now say the whole verse. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Say it again. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you'd speak mightily to us through the pages of your word. you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you guys hear me out there? Is the microphone on? Is it? Okay. All right. The title of my sermon today is Possessing the Plunder of David. Possessing the Plunder of David. And as we begin this morning, I declare to you by the power of the Holy Spirit that God wants to take you beyond mere survival. He wants to take you even beyond mere recovery. But he wants to take you to the place where you begin to possess the plunder of David. Possessing the plunder of David. Now this is a powerful verse that we've come to here in Psalm 112 verse 4. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. And that word upright is important. Because if you don't find yourself in the category of the upright... You might as well close your Bible because this promise doesn't apply to you. (laughs) Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. That word upright in the Hebrew is the word yashar. Say it, yashar. And the word yashar means vertical, erect, 
straight, level, or correct. Vertical, straight, level, correct. Even in darkness, light dawns for the vertical. Light dawns for the straight, for the correct. The image of uprightness is that you're standing up straight and you're lifting your head up high. And there's two opposites of uprightness that the Bible tells us about. The first is what the scripture calls the crooked. There are the upright and then there are the crooked. Psalm 125 verse 5 speaks of those who turn to crooked ways and promises that God will banish them with the evildoers. You better hope you're not crooked. Because if you're crooked, you got a promise too. <laughs> God's going to banish you with the evildoers. That's what it says. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 15, the scripture speaks of those whose paths are crooked. When your paths are crooked, it means the way you walk. You don't walk straight. You walk crooked. And it says they are devious in their ways. You, ever, you know when you call somebody a crook? What does it mean to call somebody a crook? You know crook is short for crooked. When you say he's a crook, what you're saying is that person is crooked. That person is devious. That person's a scam artist. That person's a, a, a con artist. That person is trying to swindle you, trying to cheat you. That person will rob you. You can't do business with a crook. How many here want to do business with a crook? Nobody here wants to do business with a crook. You know what? God doesn't do business with crooks either. Now, we got to understand what God means by crook and what we mean by crook. See, when you're talking about a crook, you're talking about somebody who's trying to rob you. When God's thinking of a crook, he's thinking of somebody who's trying to rob him. Malachi 3, verse 10, tells us what a crook is in God's eyes. Will a man rob God? But yet you've robbed me. But you say, how have we robbed you? He says, you're a nation of crooks. All of you are crooks. Because you've robbed me in the tithe and the offering. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. Test me in this and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you will not have room to recover. We don't want to be crooks in the eyes of God. We want to be upright in the eyes of God. We don't want to be crooked in our ways. Some of us need to straighten out our ways so that we can come into alignment with this promise today. God wants to bring us into alignment with this promise today so that it can break forth in our lives. Amen. There's another opposite of uprightness in the scripture that we need to know. And that's what the Bible calls the downcast. Not just the crooked, but the downcast. The downcast are individuals who have suffered a severe amount of either shame or pain. They've suffered shame because they've messed up in some big ways. And they suffered pain because they've been hurt in some big ways. And the result of the shame and the pain is that their faces have become downcast. It means that your spine is bent over and your face is facing the ground. Now, oftentimes in Scripture, there is this metaphor that your countenance becomes a metaphor for your position with God. If your countenance is upright, it means that you're walking rightly with God. If your countenance is crooked or downcast, it means that there's something that has gone wrong in your relationship with God. And so the two opposites of uprightness 
are the crooked and the downcast. Now, I've got bad news and good news in that order. The bad news is that every single one of us in this room has some crooked place in our life. I mean, I don't, I mean, it's easy for us to point out somebody else's crookedness. But if you look closely at your own life and if you look closely at my life, you're going to find some crooked place in your own life. There's not one non-crook in this room. You're twisted somewhere. And everybody in this room has some downcast place in your life. You've experienced some pain or some shame and it's caused you to bow your face to the ground. All of us do. And so all of us need to be, in, be brought into alignment with this promise today. And that's where the good news comes in. Jesus is in the business of straightening, straightening out both the crooked and the downcast. Remember, he said in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 2, he said, Behold, I am going before you to make the crooked places straight. You see, some of you are here and you're thinking about some crooked place in your life. And you know it's crooked. Some of you have been robbing Uncle Sam by not paying your taxes. And it's about tax time right now. And you got handed another W-2 just this last week. And you thought, another year, I ain't doing my taxes. Well, let me tell you something. That's a crooked place that God wants to make straight. Hello? <laughs> But God is in the business of going before us to make the crooked places straight. You see, I don't worry anymore when I see a crooked place in my life because I know the Lord's going before me to make that crooked place straight. See, the thing is, you can't straighten yourself out no matter how much you try. But God is able to go before you and make the crooked places straight. In Psalm chapter 40, the, the psalmist says in verse 11, Psalm 44 verse 11, he says, or 42 verse 11, Why are you so cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him for the help of my countenance and my God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, I believe, says that God comforts the downcast. He lifts the head of the downcast. David said, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. God is able to lift up the head of the downcast, and he's able to straighten the spine of the crooked. God is coming today to straighten us out. Somebody say, straighten me out, Lord. Now, in Luke chapter 13, verse 10, the scripture says Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and there was a woman that had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten herself out. That's how all of us are before Jesus comes into our lives. Bent over and can't straighten ourselves out. And Jesus is teaching and there's a multitude of people. And all of a sudden, in the middle of his teaching, he stops and points her out. You, come up here. And he calls her out and doesn't, he doesn't, you know, just like everybody bow your head. No, he calls her out. You, you, yeah, lady over there. Come up, come up here right now. In front of everybody. Brings her up to the front. And just puts her crookedness on display. I mean, everybody in the room sees this woman walking up to Jesus like this. And they're thinking, he's probably going to rebuke her for being in sin. That's why she's all bent over, because she messed up. And some of you are afraid the Lord's going to rebuke you, because you know the reason you're in financial ruin is because you messed up. I mean, let's just, let's just be real about it. Nobody, you know, so, some, so many of us are asking, why me, Lord, about our finances? And the Lord is asking us the same question. Why did you do that to yourself? <laughs> yeah, why you? You didn't have to do that. <laughs> Come on, somebody. He calls her up to the front, and the scripture says he lays his hands on her and says, as T.D. Jakes would say right out of the King James Version, woman, thou art loosed. <laughs> He says, woman, you are loosed. You are free from your affliction. And it says, immediately, she straightened up 
and glorified God. I'm telling you that Jesus is coming to straighten us up today. He's coming to touch us in the crooked place. He's coming to touch us in the downcast place. And he's coming to straighten us up. He's coming to make the crooked places straight and to make the rough places smooth. Jesus is able to straighten you out. And when you come to that place where he straightened you out and made you upright, where you're living right, where you're doing right, where you're giving where you should be giving, saving where you should be saving, and spending what you should be spending. Now you're walking upright in your finances. When he brings you back into alignment with his command, now suddenly he brings you into alignment with his promise. And suddenly you can expect that even in times of darkness, light is going to dawn for you. Why? Because you're upright. You're holding your head upright. And listen, sometimes you find yourself in the midst of a catastrophe, and you know you need to get upright real quick. I need, Lord, I need you to lay hands on me right now. I'm here to tell you that God can straighten you out in a moment. It doesn't mean that the dollar sign number will change in your bank account, but something will change in your head account, and something will change in your heart account. And when things change in your head account and in your heart account, something will eventually change in your bank account. You hearing me? Now, we got to look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. David has an experience of financial ruin. Well, it was greater than financial ruin. It was financial and relational ruin. It was actually complete ruin. Okay, and if you think you've gone through some stuff, I'm here to tell you that what you went through, I dare say it's probably not as bad as what David went through. David was serving King Saul, and King Saul decided to start trying to kill him every day. Imagine going to work, and your boss starts throwing spears at you. You know, you're sitting at your computer, all of a sudden a spear comes right by and almost pins you to the wall. Every day you're dodging spears while you're serving your boss, and you're his personal assistant, right? You're in his office every day, and all of a sudden, look out, right? Finally, he runs for his life, and the scripture says one day David thought to himself that Saul's going to catch me one day. He's going to kill me. Best thing I can do is go to the Philistines and start living with God's enemies, That's the best thing I can do. I think that's the best decision I can make. Big problem, David thought to himself. He should have started inquiring of the Lord, but instead he decided to think for himself. Now the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The moment we start leaning on our own understanding, that's where we're in trouble. David in his own understanding thought the best thing to do was to go serve the enemy. So he goes over to Philistia. He appears before Achish, the king of Gath, the king of Philistia, the king of the Philistines. And he defects to Philistia, and Achish gives him the city of Ziklag. And so he and his men and all their wives and their children and all of their possessions, their herds and their flocks, their cattle, their gold and their silver and their raiment, their clothing, everything they have is there in Ziklag. And, and, the king, and king Achish announces one day that they're going to go fight against Israel. And David thought it would be a good idea to go help King Achish fight against God's people. Watch this. Watch how far David has gone. So he shows up with his 600 mighty men in front of Achish, king of Gath. And the princes of the Philistines, they say, what's he doing here? And Achish said, he's going to war with us. And they said, oh, no, he isn't. He said, what are you talking about? He's been with me for years. And the princes of the Philistines said, look. This man is Israelite. What better way to win his master's favor back than to turn against us in the middle of battle? And now we're fighting Israelites on that side and Israelites on this. No way. You send him back home. Tell him he's not going to war with us. So King Achish comes to David and says, you can't go to war with us. David goes, why? What'd I do? How come? What'd I do? He says, I know, man. You know, it's not my fault. You know, my bad. But I got these leaders here that don't want you to go. 
Man, that's messed up. And David was angry and he left. Sometimes the thing that you think is the most unfair thing in the world that's happened to you is the best thing in the world that could have happened to you. Because David and his men leave the battlefield. They journey all the way back to Ziklag, which takes them three days. And when they get back to Ziklag at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 30, they find it burned to the ground. All their wives, sons, and daughters carried off and all of their possessions gone. The Amalekites had come in three days prior. Meaning while David was standing in front of Achish, crying about not getting to go to war with them, at that moment, on that day, the Amalekites were in David's city ravaging his household. And had Achish let David go to war, David wouldn't have found out for months. Sometimes when something goes wrong for you, when you get rejected, sometimes it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. You need to thank the Lord. David and his men get back to Ziklag. The whole city's burned to the ground. Their sons and daughters, their wives are gone. And complete financial ruin. They didn't just rob his house. They burned down all of their houses. And all 600 of these men. Complete financial ruin. And complete relational ruin and it says they lifted up their voices and they wept all 600 of them 600 of the mightiest men you have ever met these men were gangsters i mean literally they were gangsters crimson and the bloods nothing compared to these guys right these men were thugs and all of a sudden they fall on the ground and they start weeping and it says they wept until they had no more strength to weep have you ever cried until you had no more cry in you? I mean, your, eye, your tear ducts wouldn't make any more tears. Your voice wouldn't make a sound. I mean, complete hopelessness. Everything's gone. Complete loss. And they were almost accepting it. And then a shift happened in David's heart. And let me tell you why a shift happened in David's heart. Because all 600 of his men entered into the second stage of grief. Anger. At David. David, all of a sudden, he's crying, and he hears behind him, let's kill David. Yeah, it's his fault. I think we should stone him. So imagine David, let's kill David. When David starts hearing the men whispering about stoning him, pity party's over. No more time to cry. Uh-uh, uh-uh. He remembered who he was. No more crying time. No, and, and 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6 is probably the most powerful scripture in the entire Bible. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I like the NKJV. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. He found strength in the Lord. That is, David had a come to Jesus moment. He woke up and said, can't cry no more. If I cry one more tear, I'm going to be dead in 15 minutes. I don't have time to cry. I've cried, and now my cry is over. Now i got to get up and hear something from God. And he, went, and he didn't have a pep talk. He didn't look in the mirror and say, come on, you can do it. Come on, you can, David, you're David. You're David. You're strong. Saul has killed his thousand, but David has killed 10,000. Remember what you did to Goliath? You, you know, fly like a butterfly, sting like a He didn't do that. He didn't didn't find strength in himself. 
He found strength in the Lord his God. That is, he got up and he looked up to heaven and said, God, I've got no more strength, but you do. I've got no more power, but you do. I've come to the end of myself, but just the beginning of you. God, I, I, I know. David woke up and realized, see, this is the thing. David had learned how to abide in God. He had learned, he said in Psalm 91, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, and Him will I trust. You will not be afraid of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the terror that strikes by night, nor of the pestilence that lays waves that the new may. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near your dwelling. David wrote those words. He knew when he came. See, David wrote those psalms in moments of intimacy with God. When he would come into this place of intimacy with God, where all of a sudden his soul would explode and say, The Lord is my rock and my salvation. Whom shall the Lord is my light and my salvation? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But in this pit, he forgot all that. But when he heard them talking about killing him, he woke up and said, I better find that place real quick. <laughs> he knew. In time of trouble, he knew what it was like to be at that place of intimacy with God. Listen, I'm telling you, if you've never been there, you got to go today. I mean, don't go to sleep tonight until you find that place. I'm telling you, there's a place in God, a place of intimacy in Christ. And every believer has access to that place where nothing can stand before you, where nothing can stand against you, where no discouragement has any place in your heart, where you don't feel weak or powerless. Why? Because when you come into the Spirit, you are as the Spirit is. And the Spirit never feels powerless or stuck. And so the moment you say, I'm stuck, I'm powerless, I'm weak, you're not in the Spirit. You need to get out of the flesh. The flesh is weak, but the Spirit is strong. And as soon as I come into the Spirit, it doesn't matter what I'm going through, because the Spirit of He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in me, and He gives life to my mortal body. David knew that place. He said, I gotta go back. I gotta go back. And you know what? You need to practice every day. You might not need that place today because you're not looking at Ziklag burned to the ground, but you're going to need it tomorrow. And so you better practice abiding in that place today. You know, the Lord spoke to me the night before last. I was in prayer and I was seeking God for power and for his outpouring and his spirit and crying out to God. And the Lord spoke to me in the middle of it. He said, son, I don't get more powerful because you pray. I was like, but aren't I supposed to pray for more? I'm supposed to seek you, right? And the Lord said, I'm just as powerful right now as I will be if you pray for the next 10,000 years. I'm almighty. I'm omnipotent. You're waiting for me to get stronger? As if I'm giving God a pep talk. Some of us, we go into our prayer closet, we're going, come on, God, you got this. You got this. That's if we're spotting God, he's doing reps. One more, God, you can do it. Come on, Lord, push it out. You got it. Come on, all you. I'm not even helping. I'm not even helping. It's all you. <laughs> Right? You know? That's how we pray. And the Lord said, stop praying to become more powerful. And just begin to abide in me. If you abide in me, and I abide, my word abides in you, you'll ask whatever you will, and it'll be done. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. You see, it's about abiding in the vine. David knew how to abide in the presence of God. He forgot it for a moment, but because he had practiced every day abiding in the presence of God in the time of trouble, he knew how to find the pavilion of God. He knew that in the day of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he will hide me. He will set my foot upon a rock. Therefore, my head shall be lifted up. 
up above my enemies all around me. You see that? He knew how to lift up his head in the moment of trouble because he had learned how to abide in the presence of God every day, every day. He found strength in the Lord his God. He jumps up. He's got 10 minutes before they start throwing stones. He says, bring me a priest, Abiathar. He said, I'm calling for my pastor. <laughs> Abiathar! <laughs> Where's my lay pastor at? I need a small group leader, somebody. <laughs> Abiathar, <laughs> men's ministry director, something, a worship leader, somebody. And he comes, he says, bring that ephod. It's time to worship. <laughs> it's time to inquire of the Lord. And they, had, they started that church service. Somebody gone on the organ? No, I don't know. I don't know what happened. But David, all of a sudden, he starts to inquire of the Lord. And listen to what he says. You've got to get this. This will change your life. When he begins to inquire of the Lord, listen to what he says. He says, Lord, shall I pursue them? Will I overtake them? Notice. <laughs> Notice he does not say, Lord, Send another army to overtake the Amalekite army. And let them gather up my possessions and my sons and daughters and wives. And let them bring them back here to us at Ziklag. We're going to stay here and pray. All 600 of you guys, get on your knees and pray for God to send them back. He says, Lord, shall I pursue them? Shall I pursue them? See, too many believers are praying for God to do something for you instead of praying about what God wants to do through you. He did, David did not expect some other army to fight the battle for him. He said, shall I pursue them? Shall I? See, too many believers are praying for finances like that. Yeah. Oh, Lord, let someone else get a better job so that they can give me money. Please bless your people with better jobs so that I can get better money from other people's work. You, if you need more money, you need to be asking God what you should pursue. Yeah. Shall I pursue? What shall I pursue? Stop sitting around on your blessed assurance and waiting for God to do something for you. Let me tell you something. God will not do it for you. He'll do it with you. Shall I pursue? Shall I pursue? Will I overtake them? Now, it's interesting that David asked that question because there are those Job moments where Job loses everything. And he says, the Lord gives, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There are those genuine Job moments that he brings us to. But the problem is we have taken Job in contemporary Christianity, and we've made it the hallmark of spirituality. (laughs) In every situation where you encounter loss, just throw up your hands and say, thy will be done. The devil came and took my kids. Thy will be done. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. The enemy took my house. Thy will be done. You can't assume it's a Job moment. Now, first of all, you need to understand that we're sons of Abraham, not sons of Job. In Genesis 14, when Abraham heard that Lot and his whole household had been carried away captives, Abraham immediately sprung to action. He called out the 318 men that were born in his household and said, get your swords, we're going to war. And he chased down that army, he destroyed them all, and he brought back Lot and his whole household. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. That should be your knee-jerk reaction. This is the way I think. If the devil takes some of my stuff, my knee-jerk reaction is Abraham. I go to Genesis 14. 
I'm getting out my sword and I'm going to war. Yeah. And if it's a Job moment, the Lord has to stop me on the way. Because there are Job moments. Like when we were downstairs and we heard that the school wanted to buy this building, I thought it was an Abraham moment. I stood behind the platform when I first heard. I said, everybody stand up. We're going to pray right now. That school is not coming in here. They're not taking this building. And I was screaming, and they can't come in here. You know, I'm screaming. I'm declaring it. And I'm praying all week. And in the middle of the week, the Lord spoke to me and said, let it go. I said, what? What? No, I'm Abraham. He said, no, not right now. Not today. You Job. <laughs> You'll be Abraham tomorrow, but today you're Job. Let it go and bless them to possess it. So I went back next Sunday. I said, I was wrong last Sunday. The Lord showed me I was wrong. We got to bless them to possess it because God has something better for us. Amen. See, when you have a Job moment, sometimes you feel betrayed by the Lord. What's that all about? But even Job, that Job moment was not his destiny. Even when he said, blessed be the name of the Lord, God was setting him up to possess tenfold what he lost. Whether you're Job or whether you're Abraham, your destiny is the same. God is going to increase you even in the time of loss. And so David didn't know which one it was. He says, Lord, shall I pursue them? Translation, am I Abraham or am I Job? Shall I pursue them? And the Lord spoke to him and said, you're Abraham. Pursue them. You will recover all without fail. Yeah, yeah. And now David has to stand up in front of a group of a, a mob of 600 thugs yeah, yeah, yeah. who are already holding stones. He goes, hold on a sec. Hold on. Hold, 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 hold. Put, put the stones down. I know you're mad, but I got a word from God. I know you're sad, but I got a word from God. I know you've lost everything, but I got a word from God that's going to change everything. Men, God said to pursue. We're going to recover everything. I'm telling you by the word of the Lord that your sons and daughters are okay. I'm telling you by the word of the Lord that your wives have not been harmed. I'm telling you by the word of the Lord that all of your possessions are intact. I know that you're standing at this moment where it looks like you've lost everything, but I'm telling you by the word of the Lord that we're going to pursue them and we're going to recover all. Now, we don't have a moment to wait. Get your gear. Let's go. And David and his 600 mighty men, they went off in pursuit. The Amalekites had a three-day head start. And so they're pushing hard. They're running fast. And then they come to this little brook called the Besser Brook. The Besser Brook. (laughs) Many of you here at the Besser Brook right now. And I'm here to tell you that it's okay. It's okay. Because they get to the Besser Brook. And 200 out of his 600 men, a third, 33%, go, hold on, Dave, 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 we can't go any further. We can't go any further. We can't do this. And the other 400 men are going, no, man, we can't wait. We got to go to war. It's time to go. We got to cross this brook. We got to catch them Amalekites. I know, I know, I know. But we can't. I just, I just can't go any further. I can't go. I'm too tired. I'm too tired. And the other 400, like, man, you guys are heck of fake. <laughs> you guys are in sin. Two years ago, God gave me a vision for the finances of this house, and not just the church, but of the people of the house. The Lord spoke to me about this thing that we call the 151570. 
And the Lord gave it to my wife and I first when we were under crippling debt. We had $18,000 in credit card debt. We held hands in May of that year, and we said, Lord, would you allow us to pay off this debt this year before this year ends? And the Lord spoke to us and said, I want 15% of your income. Give 15% of your income. Save 15% of your income, and you'll pay off your debt. I said, Lord, your math is bad. Because <laughs> right now I'm giving, giving 10% to you, and I'm using the other 90%, and, I, and I'm going deeper into debt every month. Are you telling me that on 70% I'm going to pay off all my debt? The Lord says, yes. Because how many know that God's economy is not like your economy? Yeah, 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 yeah. See, in our economy, one plus one equals two. <laughs> but in God's economy, one sends 1,000 to flight, and two sends 10,000 to flight. Yeah. And so we began to obey the Lord, and by December 5th of that year, we sent in our last credit card check in the mail and paid off all of our credit card yeah. debt. In, in about seven months, God made provision for us to pay off all of that debt. How? By increasing our giving and increasing our savings. It doesn't make a lick of sense, but God said, do it, and it worked. And God gave me that vision two years ago for this house, and I announced it. And I said, you know what? God is saying that all of us need to do 15, 15, 70. And through 15, 15, 70, God is going to so increase us and bless us. Many of you are going to buy houses and pay cash for it. You're going to buy cars and pay cash for it. And this church is going to buy buildings and pay cash for it. And I announced it. I was so excited. What I didn't realize was that there was about 200, about a third in the congregation that were at the Besser Brook. I can't do it yet. I, I know I want to do it, but I just, uh, I'm just, uh, I want, I want to do it, but I just, I can't do it yet. And the other two thirds went, y'all are heck of fake. And David intervened and he stood in between the two groups. He said, you guys rest here at the Besser Brook. See, you guys are having a Psalm 23 moment. <laughs> you guys are having a Genesis 14 moment. It's time for you to go to war. Yeah. But you guys are having a Psalm 23 moment. Yeah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. You see, you have that moment where God says, you're going to fight the war, but right now, lie down. Lie down. Lie down. It's okay. You can rest. See, I, I, and this is something the Lord's been laying on my heart that so many of these things the Lord gives me, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to rock, yeah. and I'm ready to roll, but there's always some in the house who just aren't ready yet. Yeah. And God says, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. God sees your heart. Many of you, you feel pressure and you felt overwhelmed and you felt burdened by it. I want to do it. Other people are doing it. You're hearing testimonies of people who are doing it. And you're going, I want to do it. Why can't I do it? Because you're at the Besser Brook. And that's okay. God says, lay down. Your time is coming, but right now you're going to rest. It's in your heart. That seed is in your heart. That word has been spoken to you. You're going to step into that place. But right now you're going to lay down at the brook, yeah. and some other folks are going to fight on your behalf. Yeah, 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 yeah. And David says to the other 400, you guys, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. It's okay, guys. No shame, no condemnation. You wait here at the Besser Brook. We need a ministry called the Besser Brook where folks can just come and rest. Folks who have been running in the ministry and are tired can just lay down and rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Folks who have been fighting for their marriages and are tired can just lay down and rest. Yeah, yeah. 
Sometimes we can just constantly push and say, you need to do, you need to do, and you need to do. No, you can't do, 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 do. Sometimes you need to lay down at the Besser Brook and say, listen, I'm going to run at one point, but right now I need to lay down in some green pastures. I need to walk beside some still waters. I need him to restore my soul. I need him to fill my cup so it runs over again. And I need to know goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. And when I get to that place, then I'm going to jump up from the Besser Brook and I'm going to cross over and I'm going with you to the next war. You see, if we count out the people who are at the Besser Brook, then there's no future army. Because I guarantee you that the army that's on the front line today is going to need to be back at the Besser Brook tomorrow. (laughs) And if they ain't got no subs, (laughs) if there's no bench, the church has got to have a bench and you got to know how powerful the bench is. I'm telling you that a team is only as strong as its bench. I know because I rode the bench for a couple years in high school. I knew my spot. (laughs) And I devalued that place until I became a starting, until I joined the starting lineup. And when I was in the 11th grade and I was a starter, all of a sudden I began to understand how much I needed that bench over there how important the bench was. I'm telling you, if you're on the bench today, you're starting tomorrow. And so you just go ahead and rest on the bench and enjoy it and let it all come in. Let somebody else play today, but you're going to be on the starting lineup tomorrow. Don't devalue it and think that you're less significant because you're on the bench today. Why? Because the scripture says in Psalm 112 verse 4 that the upright have three characteristics. Number one, they're gracious. David was gracious. He was gracious with these individuals who weren't able to cross the Besser Brook. He understood that when God gives a word, it's not everybody's season to enter into the fulfillment of it. That when God gives a word, it hits different people at different times and in different places. And some of you are going to hear the word that I'm speaking today and immediately go out and apply it and you're going to reap a harvest. But for others of you, that word is like a sleeper cell. It's like a time-release capsule that goes down into your spirit. And you'll find that you'll be at that place in six months from now or nine months from now. But don't forget that you've received the word. And as long as it's in you and you accepted it and embraced it, by faith, that word cannot fail to bring forth a harvest in your life. He's gracious. He's gracious. See, some of you, some of you aren't gracious enough for God to bless you. Light dawns in the upright for those who are, light dawns in darkness for the upright because they're gracious. Some of you, if God blessed you, you would judge everybody who didn't have that blessing. Well, I prayed and God did it for me. What's wrong with you? You just ain't praying. That's why. Well, what's, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I went through that too. And I prayed and God broke it off me. So why don't you just pray and God break it off you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Judging everybody who's not where you are. Yeah. David was gracious. Yeah. That's why light was about to dawn for him because he was gracious. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so David and his 400 men, they crossed the brook the Besser Brook, and they're traveling, and all of a sudden they come upon an Amalekite, and the Amalekites are their enemies. And they found one that had been left behind, laid out there sickly and emaciated, almost at the point of death. And I'm sure one of David's men said, there's an Amalekite. He's our enemy. They took our people. Let's kill him. Uh But David says, no, give him some water. And they give him some water. And then he says, give him some figs. And they give him some figs. And then David says, give him some raisins. 
And then they give him some raisins, and he eats the figs, he eats the raisins, he drinks the water, and all of a sudden his strength returns. And they say, who are you? He said, I'm an Amalekite slave. My master left me here because I got sick three days ago. I haven't had any food or water for three days. Thank you for saving my life. And David says, do you know where they are? He goes, I sure do. He said, would you take me to them? He said, under two conditions. One, promise you won't kill me. And two, promise you won't return me to my master. David said, you got yourself a deal. Isn't it funny that when David has mercy on his enemy, he finds the way towards his blessing. See, sometimes God puts an enemy in your life to lead you to your blessing. And when you see that enemy, you want to kill him. <laughs> and so for some of you, that enemy is corporate America. Because you're sitting there asking God to deliver you from corporate America. Sitting at your desk playing gospel music, trying to drown out the curse words of your unsaved people. Unsaved. Oh, Lord, deliver me from here. And, and you don't realize that God put you in corporate America to bring back the plunder of David. You don't realize that corporate America is that little slave that's going to lead you down to the enemy's camp. The, the problem is many believers go down into corporate America and become the slave of the Amalekite instead of allowing the Amalekite slave to lead you to the plunder. You become the plunder. All of a sudden, your job owns you instead of you owning your job. Your job takes you away from your family instead of providing for your family. And your job takes you out of the house of God. All of a sudden, you can't come to church no more because you've got so much work to do. And you can't fellowship with the people of God because you've got so much on your plate. Let me tell you something. If you allow that to happen, you've just become an Amalekite slave. But God has given you an Amalekite slave to lead you to the plunder, not the other way around. Come on, somebody. Woo! Yes. And that slave leads him all the way down to where the Amalekite camp is. And David looks down in the valley, and they're spread out through the whole valley. And what are they doing? The Amalekites, they got a strobe light up. Cool and the gang is up there playing on the platform. And they're dancing and singing. And so they were having a big party. They were, rep- they were dancing and they were singing because of all of the plunder. Everything they had taken, they were just dancing. And they were partying. And the scripture says that David attacked them. And it says that he fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. For 24 hours straight, they battled. You know, a lot of believers never get their plunder because they quit 12 hours into the battle. And of course, you're. I'm too tired. Yes, you're tired. you got to know when you're at the Besser Brook and it's time to rest. And when you're in the midst of the battle and even though you're tired, it's time to press. you got to know the difference. Because you can lay down and rest at the Besser Brook, but once you get into the middle of the battle, I don't care how tired you are, you gotta fight. You gotta fight the good fight of faith. You gotta lay hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You gotta know how to fight. For 24 hours, David fought, and it said not one of them survived. Now, look at this. Going down to verse 17, you gotta see this. You got to see this. Verse 17. Man, I got so many notes here that I haven't even looked at. I don't even know where I am. Verse 17. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. Verse 18. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. He recovered everything. Not Nothing was missing. 
David brought everything back. He recovered everything. The first step is recovery. The fruit of your fight is recovery. Everything in fulfillment of the word of the Lord, there was recovery. Everything, all of their sons and daughters were fine. All of their wives were fine. All of their possessions were fine. Everything was fine. Their wives were untouched. God had protected every, even though the enemy carried it off, God protected it. God was still shielding. Even what the enemy had carried off, God was shielding it. Now watch this. But it doesn't stop with recovery. Verse 20. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is the plunder of David. Meaning, after recovery, getting back all of their stuff, they took all of the Amalekite stuff. They didn't just get their flocks and herds back. They took the flocks and herds of the Amalekites. Yeah, 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 yeah. They said, this is the plunder of David. Yeah. In pursuit of recovery, wow. they arrived at the place called plunder. Wow. Isn't it interesting that three days ago they were crying their eyes out because they yeah, thought it yeah, was a total yeah. loss. And now they're jumping and shouting because they see it's a total victory. That not only was there recovery, now all of a sudden they look back on the situation and realize that the entire trial had one purpose. God wanted to bring them into the plunder of David. God saw where they were and allowed the hardship to come to bring them to the place where they began to possess the plunder of David. God has more for you than mere survival. He wants you to begin to possess the plunder of David. The plunder of David. Now watch this. He was gracious. He allowed his men to rest at the Besser Brook. He was compassionate. When he found the Amalekite slave, he fed him instead of killing him. He was compassionate. And now we're going to see that he's righteous. Because he brings all of this plunder back, and they get back to the Besser Brook. And there's 200 men laid out there. Sitting around having picnics, <laughs> trading sandwiches, campfire, singing kumbaya. They're just having a grand old time. They've been on a retreat. They had, these 200 men had, a, had about a six-day church-wide retreat, just sitting out there basking. And now these 400 men come back, and they're cut, and they're bruised, and they're bleeding, and their skin is fine. There's blood dripping from their faces. They haven't showered. They're jacked up. And they're driving cattle and herds. They're so tired. They can barely stand. And they see these 200 men having a picnic. And the 400 men, you know what they say? Y'all don't get none of this. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> All of this plunder is for those of us who went to war. Not for you girls. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> no offense to some of you young ladies here because you know, y'all are some beasts. <laughs> and David once again jumps in and he goes, No, the ones who stayed with the supplies get the same share as those who went to battle. He's righteous. Because he's generous. 
because he doesn't look at what he's done that's good, that's and good. use it as a means of comparing himself to others and making them feel inferior yeah, yeah. and making himself feel superior. Yeah. But he takes what he's done and uses it for the benefit of others. Yeah. We got to get this. Yeah. Yeah. Gracious, compassionate, and righteous. And God says, even in darkness, light's going to dawn for you because yeah. you're upright. Yeah. Mm. Making some decisions in your heart about what you're going to do when light dawns for you in the midst of your darkness. Making the decision now that God, I'm going to be gracious. I'm not going to judge others who aren't at the same place I am. When you bless me, I'm not looking down on anybody. I'm going to be compassionate. That's good. When you put an enemy in my path, I'm going to feed them and give them something to drink. Yeah. I'm going to love my enemies. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to pray for those who curse me. I'm going to bless those who curse me. Yeah. I'm going to pray for those who despitefully use me. Yeah. And I'm going to be righteous. When you bless me abundantly, I'm not going to use it to cut others out. I'm going to use it to bring others in. Wow. Light. It's going to dawn for you. Amen. Even Amen. in the midst of darkness. Amen. Bow your heads. I just sense that some of you are here today and you've just become aware of some crooked places and some downcast places in your own heart and in your own mind. I need to hear myself a little more. I can't hear myself. You become aware that there's some places in your life where you need God to make the crooked places straight. You need God to make the rough places smooth. Where you need Him to lift your head. David said, you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. God is coming to you today to be your glory and the lifter of your head. Some of you are here and, and man, you're living in financial pain. You know, when the people of God are tormented financially and the people of God are being tormented financially, it's almost no different from being afflicted by a, a physical disease. It wouldn't be any harder if your body was broken with cancer. Just like that woman in Luke chapter 13, who was bent over for 18 years. Some of you have been bent over for years and years and years, and you've become hopeless about it. Your face is downcast. But I'm here to tell you today that there's grace for you. God didn't send this word today to condemn you. God didn't send this word today to discourage you, but to encourage you. He's the lifter of your head. And I believe that the Lord has come today to straighten some folks out, to straighten all of us out in some place. That woman, Jesus called her out, said, come up here to the front. And he laid his hands on her and said, straighten up. You know, I remember back in the fall of 1994, I went to a church where the power of God was falling so strong. The Holy Spirit was being poured out and the pastor was calling people out and laying his hands on them, and they were falling out on the floor under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was so hungry for it, I didn't even wait for him to call me. I ran up to the altar and stood in front of him and just lifted my hands. He looked at me and said, oh, you're hungry, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm hungry. 
And he stretched out his hand toward me and the power of God overtook me. I've never been so full of the Holy Spirit as I was that moment. Some of you are going to be like me. Some of you are like that woman waiting for Jesus to call you out. But others of you, you're like me. You're not waiting for Jesus to call you out. If I was at that meeting where that woman got straightened out, I would have run up to the front and say, Lord, straighten me out too. Lay your hands on me. You can straighten me out in a second. Straighten me out too. Run to Jesus today. I don't care where things have gone wrong. I don't care what has happened. Run to Jesus today. Run to Jesus. You say, well, don't I have to fix some stuff? No, he's going to fix the stuff. You can't fix it. Let him fix it. Say, well, don't I have to get some stuff right? What if I haven't tithed? Even if you haven't tithed, he's able to straighten that out. There's nothing that you can mess up that he can't fix. Nothing that you can mess up that he can't fix. Nothing that you can get crooked that he can't straighten out. He's able to straighten you out today. And I just sense that the master is here. Jesus is here. And he's walking through this auditorium. And he's laying his hands on you today. And he's saying, you are loose from your affliction. 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 You're going to stand up straight. You're going to lift up your head. No more shame on your face. No more shame on your face. He's the lifter of your head. He's the lifter of your head. He's the lifter of your head. And I just speak the blessing of the Lord over you today. In Jesus' mighty name. And while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around, I just want to ask, is there anybody here today? You might be here and you say, you know, coming to Jesus about my finances is secondary. I need to know him. I need to know him as my Lord and my Savior. You need to receive him this morning. You need to accept him. He wants to come into your heart. Listen, he loves you so much. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's loved you from eternity. He's been with you every moment of your life. He formed you in your mother's womb. He has a plan for you. He loves you. He loves you. I'm just asking you to open up your heart to him today. Let him in. It's the beginning. For some of you, it's just the beginning, just the beginning of that walk with Christ. I'm not asking you to change everything in your life. You can't change your life, but he can. He's able to heal you. He's able to make you whole. He's able to bring his presence into your life. I'm just asking right now, anybody here, you say, I'm willing. I'm willing to open up my heart to him right now and accept him in. For the first time. You've never done it before. For the first time. You're willing to invite Jesus into your heart today as your Savior and Lord. If that's you, lift your hand right where you are. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. This is not to embarrass you. Just lift your hand. Just lift your hand. Anybody. Somebody here. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is reaching for you today. Not going to embarrass you. Just lift your hand right where you are. Yes, Lord, touch Lord right now. Yes, touch Lord right now. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. For everyone else, I just sense that the word of the Lord, it's not about an altar today. It's this Jesus is walking through this auditorium. He's walking, he's walking through these seats. He's coming right to where you are. 
right to where you are. Some of you are at the Besser Brook. He's just coming to lay his hands on you and say, just lay, just lay down, lay down in green pastures, green pastures, green pastures, green pastures. He's restoring your soul. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. He's with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. Hallelujah, Lord. Just receive it all. Just stand up on your feet right now and just lift your voice and begin to worship the Lord. Just begin to worship in that place right now. Just begin to worship. Yes, Lord. Oh, we give you all the praise. We worship your holy name. Giving you all the praise, Lord. Just let your blessing flow right now. Oh, just let your power flow right now, Lord. Just let your glory come right now, Lord. Let your glory come right now. Just let your glory come right now, Lord. Just let your power flow right now, Lord. Just let your glory come. Let your power flow right now. Whoa. Oh, just worship him now. Whoa, just worship him now. And giving you all of the praise. Giving you all of the praise. Yes, Lord. Lives are straightening now. Wounds are closing now. Hearts are mending now. Yeah. Whoa. There is recovery now. There's restoration now. Anticipation now. Whoa. Possessing the plunder of David. This is the plunder of David. It's time. This is the plunder of David. This is the plunder of David. Oh, take it now, take it now. Take it now, take it now. Whoa. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Lift your hands to the Lord now. I bless you with the blessing of heaven and the blessing of earth. The blessing of the Father, the blessing of the Son, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. I say grace to you. Grace to you. And I lift the heavy burden from your heart and mind. I remove the no and I replace it with the yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. I speak rest. I speak peace. Great reward. In Jesus' name, amen.